And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Win. I don't care about a triple. I don't care about none of that. I really don't. I want to win. We did that. I'm happy with the outcome. I'm Jimmy F. from Butler. I think we realize that we belong. That they can't be beat as long as we do what we're supposed to do. I'm Jimmy F. from Butler. Good morning and welcome to the Daily Ding. Happy Monday morning. We have all of your incredible finals action from a historic Sunday in the NBA Finals in Orlando. I am Jared Weiss. I'm joined by Mo DeKeel and Anthony Slater, as well as Andrew Schlecht, who's pushing the ones and twos in the back. Do not miss our exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season in an incredible NBA Finals, which is not a blowout as we're about to talk about. So subscribe now and save by going to theathletic.com slash daily ding and you can receive an all access subscription for just one dollar a month sports are back you won't want to miss any of the breaking stories on your favorite teams so you just go to theathletic.com slash daily ding and you'll receive an all access subscription for just one dollar a month so coming up on the ding today jimmy goes absolutely buckets AD is somehow kept at bay, and Tyler was heroic once again. But first, we start from the top. The Heat beat the Lakers in Game 3 of the NBA Finals. They win 115-104. to 104. The Lakers' lead is down to 2-1. to one. We have a series officially, ladies and gentlemen, even with Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic, two basically important players for the Heat being out. They just had Jimmy Butler have one of the greatest games in NBA history. He had a 40-point triple-double. He had uh, 10 points and 5 assists in the fourth quarter when they needed him most. It was unbelievable most. So I'll start with you. Where does this rank on just the most incredible moments you've seen in, I guess, recent NBA Finals history? Yeah, um, I mean, it's high up there. This is an impressive performance start to finish from Butler the whole way. Like, just just... He put the team on his back. Uh, this kind of is reminiscent a little bit, and I don't want people to go too nuts, but when LeBron kind of had to step up when Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love were down in the first time the Cavs and the Warriors matched up, it was kind of reminiscent of that type of stuff. Like real just, hey, I'm a big-time player. I'm going to make big-time plays for the for our team, and we're going to win this game tonight. I mean, Slater, you were around for a lot of those Warriors and Cavs games in the finals. Uh, how does this compare to some of the greatest moments you saw in those battles? The best finals performance I ever saw was actually in a loss. It was LeBron himself. I believe it was 51 points. It was the J.R. Smith game. Remember, the uh, oh, he, he runs one. it out. Yeah, the game one. LeBron single-handedly against like a fero- like that Warriors team was operating on all cylinders, and he dragged them to overtime. Probably should have won. If, if J.R. puts in a putback that he should have, they do win that game. Um Butler, I don't think the physical force that LeBron had, I don't think Butler necessarily had that. But, you know, considering um, the uh, 
parts that he was kind of trying to drag to the finish line here. Uh, it was like, you know, equally impressive. And the fact that he got the win makes it, I guess, more of a, or I guess a better individual performance. Um, but yeah, no, this is, I mean, it's a top level uh, moment probably in his career, right? I mean, they, like he hasn't had a better individual game. Absolutely. This puts him on another tier, right? Like this, you know, uh, our own Wozni Lambray kind of tweeted it out saying like, he don't ever want to hear anybody put him and Paul George in the same tier anymore i think this kind of kicked <laughs> jimmy up another notch i mean jimmy he had so many records in this game uh he had 40 points without taking a single three-pointer that's the first time a perimeter player has done that in the nba finals no other player that handles a rock on the outside has ever scored 40 points without taking a single three since three-pointer started but the funny thing is the last guy to do that in a playoff game period is Dwayne wade for the heat And I liked how after the game, Spo said that Wade, who also was a Marquette guy like Jimmy, went to Pat Riley, went to Eric Spolster before the season and said, this is your guy. Jimmy is your guy. And Mo, we saw just the way that, I mean, he already was playing great. That last game was already an incredible performance. He just has his ability to continue to put everything on his back more and more and more to keep attacking, keep second leaping over everybody. He just has no limit to the amount that he can compete. Well, I mean, like we saw it in the fourth quarter where he really kind of took over at that point. And look, the Lakers ended up just starting to switch on him. It it really looked like the Lakers had no answers down the stretch. Now, when we get to that part of our discussion, I got some – some thoughts I want to fire off there. But I got some as well on that. There we go. I think uh, Slater and I might be competing on this one. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. you know. Just, just he, start firing away. Start firing. Well, no, but I mean, just before we get to that, like, it wasn't just scoring. I mean, he was diamond out Olenek, you know, for a three off of a slip. You know, he's finding opportunities for Hero. Like, he's just making plays at the end of the day for this team. And this is when they need it most. I mean, Dragic is on the sideline, Adebayo's on the sideline, and he's just saying, like, all right, fuck it. I got it. Let's go. And, you know, he, he really owned that moment and and took over for this team when it looked like it almost felt like the Lakers were going to steal this at one point. Yep. Um, just the flip side and, and go to the takes that we were talking about. <laughs> um, this was this was LeBron James' worst game of the playoffs. Uh, it's what I wrote for the website. Um, and when you mentioned the soft switches uh, late, that was a lot of LeBron. Uh, and if I could take you back about a week uh, and Jamal Murray is scorching the Lakers defense. Denver's trying to like, you know, maintain any type of grasp in the series. LeBron James said, I have Jamal Murray. I'm not switching on screens. I'm getting through everything and I'm guarding him the entire possession and I'm getting a stop. And he did. He got the two biggest stops of the series. You know, you could argue foul or not, but LeBron James was going to be there guarding Jamal Murray. And he was tonight. Every time late, I mean, you can watch the film. It's a very soft switch. It's it's a screener gets near him. He's like, all right, Markeith Morris, you got him. Okay, Caldwell Pope, you got him. Kuzma, you got him. And Butler's biggest moments of this game are coming not against LeBron James. Uh, and that was, I guess, uh, you know, indicative of the entire mindset I thought LeBron and the Lakers took into this game, which was, eh, we don't need to win tonight. Um, and it showed late. Which is funny because they were talking about, you know, we remember what happened going into game three of that of that Denver series, right? We let up and we let them kind of feel like they were back into the series. And to go back to the switching for of LeBron, you know, the soft switches, what's the point of him guarding him at that point? You know, like if you're just going to automate, if he's just going to switch so easily, 
Just put somebody else on him. Like, I don't even – don't just let him roam on the weak side then instead of that. But it wasn't even in the fourth quarter. This was happening all game long. I mean, I pulled up a clip of, you know, Dwight Howard thinking LeBron's going to keep coming off of a screen and LeBron's just kind of hanging out. And then Butler makes the shot and LeBron looks at Dwight going like, are you going to defend? And it's like, yo, are, are, are you? Weird game from LeBron. Weird. Yeah, game. Just, a, just a weird game in general. And I think – you know, for the Lakers, it, it it the whole game was weird. I think once AD got into foul trouble early, it completely knocked him off the game. I fe- felt like everybody was kind of off. The only guys that really looked like they came kind of ready to play was Kyle Kuzma and Markeith Morris. So it's funny because LeBron had 25 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists on 9 for 16 shooting. And you guys are absolutely right. It was very bizarre. And the funny thing is that at the end of game two, it was the Heat's passive switching, just kind of accepting auto switches with LeBron that really killed them. And it's so strange to see the Lakers now having the same exact issue in game three. But I liked what Miami did was Miami in the fourth quarter, instead of just switching on LeBron, they would have really hard, aggressive shows over the top of the screen in a way that we very rarely see in the NBA nowadays. And so, like, you would see Duncan Robinson would jump way over the screen to try to force LeBron to have to kind of reroute around him. And then Jimmy Beller would come back and kind of catch up to LeBron before LeBron could get ahead of steam. And it worked really well, Mo. Yeah, no, they did a great job kind of trying to contain it. There are definitely instances where Duncan Robinson tried to show and it didn't make a difference. LeBron was just (laughs) able to turn the corner on him. And the other thing, too, that LeBron was kind of – beginning to tweak or, or, or noticed it was he would attack once Robinson would try to return after showing, right? And then, you know, would kind of go back the same way he came and now he's running it up uh, Robinson's back and, and that becomes a challenge. But the big thing for the Heat was, and part of this was the AD foul trouble, but they were able to keep the Lakers to 34 points in the paint. I mean, they outscored them, outscored them 52 to 34 in the paint. That's huge for them. That's not something that was happening in the other games. You know, in game two, they got crushed. And I think part of it was, you know, the zone and things like that. But they kind of just tweaked how they wanted to defend this game. And I think that really kind of made a huge difference for them on the defensive end was just saying, hey, we're going to protect the paint and let's see if the Lakers make enough threes. As far as uh, zone numbers, so using synergies count, they only had three zone possessions for Miami. Uh, I definitely don't think that's true. I feel I felt like I saw in the second quarter at least like five or six of them. So I'll have to go back and check the film. But it yeah. was certainly way, way less than game two. Yes. And, yeah. and and one of the main problems in game two was how much trouble Miami had boxing them out within the zone. Suddenly it was like Davis is tr- it, like it was Kendrick Nunn's job all the time to box out Anthony Davis because that's just where he was in the zone. Like that can't happen. And it didn't happen nearly as much in this game. Yeah, there was very little zone. I mean, at most 10 possessions, if I had to guess, total. And I think, you know, the the Heat did put an emphasis on, hey, we're going to make sure we box out and put bodies on guys and things like that. There was a really good Olenek box out. Uh, I can't even remember what quarter it was. But, like, you know, they just had a solid game on the glass in terms of keeping the Lakers off of it. But Slater's right, too, in the sense of the mindset wasn't there. I think once – Anthony Davis picks up two fouls. He's like, cool, not going to crash the offensive glass. That's that's how I pick up another cheap one. And I think that just ultimately led to issues. You know, Dwight Howard was a really a non-factor after the opening tip 
you know, dunk that he got after that, he kind of didn't really exist for the Lakers in this game. And I just, they, their emphasis wasn't there and their mindset wasn't there. Despite them trying to guard against a letdown, they, they ended up falling into it. And the thing is, you know, I just thought defensively, I even thought in game two, their defense wasn't that sharp. I think it showed again in this one, they weren't in the right, they weren't ready to go in rotations. They weren't on the same page with each other. They were, Switching before screens were even set, opening up slips and things like that for Miami for easy buckets. Overall, I just felt like just, I mean, Slater's right. They just didn't show up today at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, right, that's, gonna... that's that's how you lose to a Miami Heat team that does not have Bam Adebayo or, or Gorodrodic. Now, you but you crack the door for Bam to return, right? I mean, I don't know. Right. right. That, that's what makes it dangerous from a Lakers perspective. And we did hear from Jimmy Butler after the game that he literally said, uh, we played a lot more man tonight, and uh, we were really glad with that. So that was a great coaching decision by Coach. So he, made it, he made it pretty clear he wanted to stay in man coverage. Uh, and he also noted that um, he mentioned when Bam is back. So I don't know if that was a hint that maybe there is a chance that Bam is going to be back for game four. I mean, we know that. Bam has been pretty aggressively begging the team to let him play, so maybe a couple nights off is enough for him to be able to come back. But there's there's a, definitely a, a few things that I think we're trending positively for Miami there. Uh, but last thing before we go to break is we, we saw Hero step up with some great finishes. Uh, we also saw Kyle Kuzma, I thought, have some pretty big moments in the fourth quarter. So while the first couple games seemed pretty dominated by just like the big stars, and obviously Jimmy Butler was as big a star as he could possibly be in this game, do you guys feel like some of these role players are starting to find their way to affect the series more and more offensively? Yeah, yeah I think, you know, I, I think Hero is a little bit more than a role player, ultimately, especially now with the responsibilities he's got to take on. But there's a comfort level. I also thought, even though he didn't score a bunch, I thought Duncan Robinson had a good game. I thought he took a lot of the Lakers' attention defensively, which opened things up. And even then, you know, he still had a couple of assists, you know, finding guys. I know early in the game he found Crowder for a three. Like, I felt like he was pretty active. Crowder was good, I thought, in this game overall. Like, I just thought, you know, they're – they're feeling their way around. They're getting a little bit more comfortable. Uh, we, we know what Olenek did. I thought he was a big game changer for them in, in the second half as well. And, and man, this team's just going to be solid. As for the Lakers, you know, it's going to just come down to can they make enough threes? You know, uh, Kuzma hit some shots. I think he won uh, four of eight from three. Markeith Morris hitting threes was, was huge. But they got to find a way to get Danny Green and uh, – KCP some shots, get some threes off and feel comfortable making it. It just looked like at times Green was even hesitant to just shoot a few. Terrible game by Danny Green. Really, he's not had a good playoffs at all. Caldwell Pope, he's been a lot more consistent from three, although he's been missing lately. But Danny Green only gets 17 minutes tonight because he's 06, he's 04 shooting. And like they just, they they plucked him out of the rotation quick. Mm -hmm. Markeith Morris saved them with that five of 11. I thought he had some huge ones to kind of keep them within striking distance. But you're right. I mean, those wings got to. I mean, they just, they're going to get wide open threes because Miami's defense is going to try to funnel the ball that direction, and they just got to hit more of them. I mean, even Alex Caruso, too. Like, I mean, Caruso's been, for all the stuff everybody's talked about for Caruso, and this is mostly directed at Laker fans, direct your hate to Jared, though, not me. Um, You know, for all the hype that we've given Caruso through the season, he's been a relative no-show for this, uh, you, you know, these past two games as well. 
Yeah, I think he was solid solid defensively in game two, and that's kind of what he's going to be. But, yeah, I mean, his offense could be an issue um, just because he's not going to get guarded from three. And, like, it's 2020. If you're not going to get guarded from three, you're a problem. All right, let's go take a break. We'll be right back after this. Okay, let's get to some news. Doc Rivers assigned a five-year deal to be the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. That is going to be interesting. Uh, actually, I have a piece up on that on The Athletic, so be sure to go check that out. Adam Silver, he spoke to Rachel Nichols bef- on the broadcast before Game 3. As far as when the 2021 season is going to begin, he once again reiterated that we're looking at probably January. It could possibly be later, depending on testing protocols and other things of that nature. Um, As far as the Olympics are concerned, he said, we'll consider it. I think it's unlikely at the end of the day that if we start late, we would stop for the Olympics. So it looks like they're going to play through the Olympics and that's going to affect the basketball tournament of the Olympics pretty significantly Um, on social justice messaging long-term in the future. He said, my sense is there will be somewhat of a return to normalcy that those messages will largely be left to be delivered off the floor. I understand those people who are saying I'm on your side, but I want to watch a basketball game. So currently the league has black lives matter on the floor. Uh, The players are wearing social justice messages on the backs of their jerseys. There's other messaging throughout the arena. So sounds like the league may be ending uh, those things while still supporting other forms of social justice messaging. And Chris Paul was actually interviewed uh, during the game for some reason, instead of during halftime, which would make more sense. Uh, And he said that now more than 90 percent of NBA players have been registered to vote with 15 teams completely registered. And uh, Chris Paul had said earlier in the bubble that I think it was less than half of the players in the league were registered to vote. So that's definitely a solid progress there. Uh, But I want to bring Andrew Schlecht into the conversation. He covers the Thunder. He produces the show. And he is very familiar with this Chris Paul uh, Thunder situation because it seems like the Thunder are going to be rebuilding. Chris Paul was asked if that would be a problem for him. And he said, I just love to hoop. Billy Donovan was amazing. My teammates have been amazing. Now, Andrew, we already saw a CP3 issue, what seemed to be pretty clearly a goodbye video right after the Thunder got eliminated from the bubble. Uh, so what do you think is going on in this situation? It's all posturing from here, right? I mean, he's he and, <laughs> he and Sam had to have oh, had a meeting about this beforehand saying, listen, Chris, here's how we're getting you somewhere is if I can get this asset, this asset and this asset. And if not, you're staying put. So if you want to go on TV and act like you're not going to be here, you're probably going to be here. So posture away so that we can get some some additional assets for you in trade. Because if you act like you're doing great here, then it's then it will probably uh, look good to other teams. It's it's also a bit of a loaded question. Like he can't come out there and being like, right. yes, I want out. He can't do the uh, yeah the teams rebuilding. I don't want to be here thing. That's not mm-hmm. that's not the situation he can necessarily do, especially with. His contract. So, yeah, he, he's kind of got to play the game here a little bit. Yeah, and the truth is the Thunder, they they actually are okay if he comes back next season. And if they have to do what they did this past season again, I think they're honestly okay with it. Because then if Chris Paul, and the only risk is Chris Paul's health. But let's say Chris Paul does stay healthy. Then he's on an expiring deal. I mean, people talk about his deal being cumbersome to trade. If it's expiring, it'll be a lot easier to trade then. And so the Thunder are honestly in this place where they have a few young guys that they like. 
They have a ton of future draft assets. They really can sit back and say, okay, that's okay. If we don't get what we want, we'll wait. We'll wait for you to, to give us what we want. And they may even go into the season before they trade him. And so the Thunder really are in this, let's sit back and wait and see what happens. I think that they're being very patient with their coaching decision. They're being very patient with the Chris Paul situation. Uh, they they really are seeing, you know, 10 years ahead right now, or at least they're trying to, and they're, they're remaining very patient with all of their assets, with the coaching move, and, and definitely with Chris Paul as well. Well, didn't they get rid of their director of insight and foresight position? They just promoted so him, that, man. That has to be a little concerned. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, they promoted him, but how is he going to maintain foresight if he's not directing it anymore? I think I mean, he I think he told them that the only way that they could possibly succeed is if he were promoted. And so he, he had the foresight <laughs> to know that. That's the vision right there. Well, you know, my only concern for OKC is that like they're clearly in a rebuild situation, and we have this insanely just like top heavy drafts where you have potentially eight or nine guys that could be all-star caliber at the top of this draft. And I don't think no matter how many picks they may have, I don't think anyone's really going to be wanting to trade out of that top 10. So it's like you almost have to tank just to think that you even have a chance to get a top 10 pick. And, you know, they get one of those top guys up there. They could be set forever. This could be a, you know, rebuild through Russ and KD situation all over again, if they really hit it big here. So, they got to do whatever they got to do to make sure they're they're at the top of that draft. And if that means telling Chris he needs to miss every single shot he takes until he eventually gets traded, I'm down for that. Yeah. Now you're speaking my language. I'm right there with you. There we go. All right. Well, that's going to do it for today's show. Don't forget about the other basketball shows across the Athletic Podcast Network. We still have your favorite shows like the Athletic NBA show. We have No Dunks. We've got Tampering. We've got House of Strauss. And we have over a dozen team-specific shows available from some of your favorite athletic beat writers. And do not forget to follow on the app so you can get notifications for new episodes and you can utilize the podcast episode comment section. So if you're not a member of The Athletic, you're in luck because you can get all of our podcasts ad-free plus some fantastic writing across all of the major sports, all for a super low price. You get a subscription today at theathletic.com slash daily ding and you never know when these promos are going to end, so you better get there soon. So, as always, thank you for waking up with us. Enjoy another week of NBA Finals, and that's going to do it for today's show. Mo, Andrew, take us out of here. Ding, ding. 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 I'm Jimmy F. and Butler. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 